Welcome to Flipping Tables. This is our second episode. I'm Mike Edwards. And I'm David Lyons. And uh, if this is your first time listening to us, Flipping Tables is a, a tech and geek and nerd and gaming podcast uh, where we try to flip some tables and angry rants about things. I think in, uh, in our pilot, we went a little light on the anger, which is not a terrible thing, but <laughs> we're, we're going to live up to our namesake this time. you got to ease into it. Yeah, you do. It's it's important. You, don't want you can't to... just you can't just surprise anger. <laughs> no surprise anger. Well, I guess flipping a table is supposed to inherently be surprising. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Knocking the chessboard off, turning the whole thing over. <laughs> it's like you're not supposed to see it coming like five minutes in advance. That's right. So today we're going to talk about Ender's Game, the movie. <laughs> yes. So I, I don't know about you, how how young you were if you, when you first read Ender's Game. I was in grade school. Uh, I was like 25. Okay. Yeah. No, it was it was one of those. I guess my public school just didn't have any of the normal books. I didn't read Where the Red Fern Grows. I didn't read. <laughs> I've never read that. It, it's there's just we read Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde all of my senior year. Like we spent my entire <laughs> senior year of high school dissecting it. So we just there's all those normal kid books that I missed out on and and went back to. So, yeah, I was, I was probably about 25 when okay. I read Ender's Game. So, ha- have you read pretty much the whole Ender series? I have. Uh, there's one, his newest one that came out like a month or two ago. That's a sequel to the most recent prequel <laughs> <laughs> that I, I haven't read yet. But I've read all the other books in the series probably four or five times. Okay. So you've read a lot more of the series than me, but I've read Ender's Game many more times, I think. Yeah, Ender's Game is definitely the most famous, but it's also the least like the other books. <laughs> the other books are way more into the future. They're way more sci-fi. So let, let's get a brief synopsis. I, th- I think it goes without saying, if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, this is going to be the spoileriest podcast. But it's like a 30-year-old book, yeah. so it's it's your fault. Yes, and there's also lots of research about spoilers not wrecking the enjoyment of things. So if you haven't, just listen anyway. So Ender's Game, it's, a, it's about these genius children in the... When you say children, they're how old? They're like four. Yes, okay. And... Uh, it's it's not exactly near future, but it's not like like eight hundred centuries in the future either. Like I forget. Do you remember what exact time it's set? It's the twenty thirties, I think. Okay, so, so near it's, future. It's, it's yeah, it's in the the twenty to twenty one hundred block. So I mean, it's within the next hundred years. Okay, and uh, so Earth has survived a a devastating attack from aliens, which they call buggers. Or they eventually have a different name that's less yeah. speciesist. Yeah, Buggers is the the racist name. And then uh, the Formix is the official PC name. So the basic premise, and correct me if I get this off, um, is they had to, since it's interstellar combat, they had to send all their best and brightest out to fight this war. And so we're, we're on the hunt for new talent to fight the next war. Well, yes. <laughs> that, that would be a synopsis if you know <laughs> the end of the book. Well, I'm just talking about the, yeah. f- the premise. Yeah, but. so the, the crucial thing is that um, they are raising these children to be ready when the Formics return. 
And then, of course, at the very end, we find out that we have, in fact, sent ships after the Formix, and these children are commanding real live troops. Mm-hmm. And that's that's Ender's game. Yes. The, the whole crux dun, is dun, that... Dun. Yeah, what a twist. It's not the game. The whole crux is that um, the children are are brilliant and and creative and imaginative in the way that adults can't be but more importantly because they don't know that it's real they will take risks and do things that adult soldiers who are you know value life wouldn't do um which is actually a great segue into bitching about the movie (laughs) um so so the book it won a bunch of awards i mean it's Hugo and Nebula. Yeah. yeah, it's it's super famous, and and my love of this the book and and my hate of the movie are in no way commentary on Orson Scott Card, who we're not going to talk about because he's just terrible. But <laughs> the, the book, um, even though it it didn't totally knock my socks off at the end when it turns out that they were fighting for real, it was still an early version of its kind, right? The the big twist ending. Like now, you mm-hmm. know, in the 90s and 2000s, everything had a twist. But this was like 1977 or 85 or something. Was, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> One of those years. <laughs> Somewhere, yes. It was a year with numbers in it. Um, but, it, you know, it was before like the huge twist trend. Um, and it was still handled so well that even if you saw it coming you could still enjoy it yeah i think there's plenty of merit to the book it's not just a twist ending book it's it's a solid narrative right so in the movie and and i try i try very hard to watch movie adaptations and not treat them as the book right because some things have to be different um in the book, there's a whole sub thing about Peter and Valentine uh, and their siblings and what they go off and do, and that's all totally left out of the movie. They don't even mention yeah. it, which is fine because it's you know you, it'd be like a ten hour movie. Well, that's where basically where Orson predicted the influence of the internet. Yeah, <laughs> in Ender's Game. Yeah, he really did. So I mean, they you know go and live their secret lives, pretending to be adults. Um, but in the in the movie from like minute one, they're like, "Yeah, we have to go get the Formix and kill them." It's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait!" And I, I took immediate exception to that because in the book, the reason the entire world has been unified under this one government, sort of the hegemony, is because they're all terrified of an alien invasion. In the movie, you wouldn't be able to unify the violent, crazy, let's-go-get-revenge people with the pacifists if your goal was to go to their house, kick their door in, and stomp their formic faces. It wasn't publicly. It was like... Yeah, it kind of was. Because <laughs> in there, there were little things, and again, like it, it's they were more glaring comparing the movie to the book, but they made no secret about having faster than light speed ships they Hiram Graf just offhandedly mentions the Ansible when they get to command school he's like from here we can use the Ansible and I actually stood up off my couch <laughs> and pointed at my TV angrily and was like no 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 so <sighs> basically so the, the narrative approach of not treating the 
the reveal as a reveal, but instead building it in from the very outset as part of the tension was did that deflate the movie for you? Well, I feel like it didn't just deflate it; it destroyed the universe. <laughs> it, <laughs> Whoa. It, it, yes, no, it 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 broke. It's a film ender's game. You must first destroy the <laughs> universe. Must, yes, it's it is the final summoning that brings about Cthulhu and ends times. <laughs> My problem is, I, I felt like in in the book they frequently mention that the tenuous grasp the government has over world peace. Like, no countries are fighting wars, no no human conflict is happening because the humans are solidified against the Formix. And I feel like if you take away um, the, the peaceful self-defense nature of we're preparing for when they get back, you wouldn't have that unifying force. I just I got the sense that the the citizens of the world did believe they were under threat still, and that it was mainly back channel Harrison Ford conversations about Ender where they reveal the the fact that it yeah it's there was definitely more of that, but there were little nods like things they said on television, things some people offhandedly mentioned. Where it was like the public seems to know we're kind of going after them, like they know about the fleet and how the fleet has like left the solar system mm-hmm. and that that's a big deal, and it's like all of the technology that we recovered from the Formix was supposed to be secret, like the Ansible and like faster than light travel, because if humans knew we had that, then they would want to use that for selfish human crap, whereas they were supposed to think that we were using our meager weapons to defend ourselves. So that's we could belabor that. But there, <laughs> there were other there. There were a lot of changes for change's sake, and the one that slapped me across the face at the end of the movie because it's mentioned early on, and then I had to wait for the whole movie to find out how stupid it was. <laughs> in the book, the only way to win a battle in the battle room is to have four of your army place their helmets against, uh, like like these pads Mm -hmm. and it opens the enemy's gate and then a fifth person goes through the gate. So that means five of your people have to survive the battle, at least survive. I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. they could be partially immobilized in the movie. The gate was just wide open and you just had to get through it. And that's not what killed me. What killed me is when Dap is explaining the game he needlessly wastes a line of dialogue saying, if you shoot them in the arm or leg, it is one point. If you shoot them in the chest and immobilize them, it is six points. And then they never mention it again. (laughs) Never, ever. You never see a scoreboard. They never talk about points. No one ever makes a comment about points. That's it. It's just... Yeah. So this sort of plays into my biggest complaint with the movie is I didn't have as big of a deal with with sort of not treating the the twist ending as a twist ending or like I was like okay they're just making the backdrop of war part of the tension for Harrison Ford so that you understand why he's rushing around getting sure. all these kids yeah but the thing that gets me most is I thought narratively maybe not thematically or impact wise but like just the plot followed the book okay like pretty yeah. much like there are kids. I wasn't. A war. I wasn't terribly <laughs> surprised by like each scene. It was mainly just so compressed. 
Yeah. Just like I could have taken another hour to just flesh out how long he's in school, his achievements and developments, that, and it's just like every other second he's in a new classroom, and you're like, okay. Which that's actually a good example of why this is a crap movie and not just a crap adaptation, because there were scenes frequently where I caught myself saying. Well, it's a good thing I read the book because otherwise I would have no idea what the hell just happened. And the first example that jumps to mind is after Ender's given Dragon Army and he goes to the battle room. So we see him get given the army, smash cut, next scene, the army is going up to the battle room. There's been no extra information. We know nothing else except he now has the army. They get up there. They look through the gate. They decide that everything is all wacky and doesn't seem quite right. And then Petra just offhandedly says, oh, giving you a battle with two armies wasn't enough? And it's like, well, yeah, if you read the book, you know that they ramp the difficulty of his battles up because he never loses a battle and they give him all these crazy yeah. – he has to fight multiple armies. He has to – he gets notified late. But in the movie, it's just like the characters know that they've fought multiple battles as Dragon Army. But we as the viewer do not yeah. know that. So, yeah, that's – it's frustrating to me just because that's one of the most satisfying things in the book is that long progression of skill and demonstration of genius. Right. And I mean, where was the the 80s battle montage? <laughs> That's all I need. I need I mean, like I I liked the way they the little the few scenes they had of battles looked good. They did the zero gravity looked good. I mean, it's yeah. it's no Sandra Bullock gravity, but it was, <laughs> it was you know, I wasn't distracted by the the way they floated around or anything. No, I mean, the the effects and the acting were good. That's where the quality of the movie it, it was just too compressed like it, it I was mean, compressed to the point of missing information like it wasn't just a, a manic pace it was like they just chopped huge chunks of necessary information out well and just like emotional space for the kids to process what they're doing and like you get I mean Ender gets screen because obviously it's about him he gets sure. a lot of screen time to cry and mope and be mad <laughs> and stuff but I don't know no one else really gets any time to be a character besides like this is Gonzo yeah or Bonzo <laughs> or Bonzo, Bonzo Madrid Gonzo. we got <laughs> a copyright infringement <laughs> we've got puppets in this <laughs> Yeah, I've. It was. Uh, are you are you glad they resisted the urge to translate directly or subtitle what the 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 queen was saying or the way they portrayed that? No, <laughs> because no. okay. So in in the book, uh, the first time Ender deals with the Formix where he's like having a conversation, it's a. Uh, it's like a mental conversation, which he's not used to. So the way the formics kind of bring it to a, a level he understands is with simple imagery. So it's like if they want to convey what we would think of as the word for hungry, it's like a person eating like ravenously. Um, in the book or in the movie, they just have the formic and Ender and this long pensive staring. It's like – it's very like Twilight. Like they're just like <laughs> staring each other down. And it's like, right. But if you didn't describe out loud how their communication works, 
I mean, he kind of says like, what if we could think at them and, and you don't show it in some way that seems like a, like a no brainer. Like you don't have to do anything weird. You just show the images Ender's getting in his mind. And then you show him like concentrating and the images he's sending back. Like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, when I saw that scene, I was like flabbergasted by the way they chose to shoot it. I was like, it's just, it's just a straight-on shot of him, and then a reverse shot of the queen, and then back and forth and back and forth, and then he suddenly knows stuff. Which again, it's like as the viewer, it's like I know kung fu. <laughs> he that would have been a more useful contribution. So skip to the very end. So they they changed the end up quite a bit. Like I had a feeling they were going to do that because they were already compressing it so heavily. And they show the ship that he's in hurtling through space, which they never bother to mention like how he got it or why he was allowed to have it or if he was alone or anything, but whatever. Um, they did the most cheesy, terrible – like his ship is flying toward the camera, so it's a straight-on shot – for some reason, the front of the ship is glass, even though he's obviously asleep. He's supposed to be in, like, hypersleep. And then the last thing they do over his narration is the eyes fly open and then credits. And it's like, so what is that supposed to tell me as the viewer? Like, does he, is he now awake for the rest of his journey? Like, what was the, the point of that? Did, did the technology fail? Is he now going to drift <laughs> in space endlessly? Like it, it's just so corny, and it called. It's like it might as well have just said on the screen, like you're watching a movie, because it's just it's cheesy and contrite. Well, now yeah, now obviously I don't think it made enough money to to, to be a, the next Hunger Games series. So <laughs> no, no fear of that. But also, I, I'm trying to imagine like there's no way the same approach could be taken for Speaker of, for the Dead. If they if they went for that, that'd have to be like a Terrence Malick like poetic <laughs> documentary. Yeah, like, I, I firmly <laughs> believe and hope that this movie did so poorly that they don't try and make the rest of the series. I mean, I, I think it'll break even, but I don't think anyone's scrambling around to to put the sequel together. Yeah, it just it was. I mean, Ender's Game, and because I should say too, they said that they were going to combine Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow and Ender's Shadow is a companion book from uh, the series that takes place at the same time more or less as Ender's Game but it's from the point of view of the character Bean I actually like that book better even though it's it's like it's not the original so it doesn't have that spot in history but but it's a phenomenal book yeah and but they show Bean on the launch ship who just awkwardly pulls a line directly from the book that another character says to explain his name. Like they couldn't just have someone else say to him, mm-hmm. like you're not even worth the be Like he had to say it like confidently with a big <laughs> smile on his face, which was weird. Cause he's supposed to be like really awkward. And cause he's like a super, super, super. Genius. Yeah. He's smarter than Ender. Yeah. And so that was clunky. And then they show they make a point of showing him again at the toward the end where he ties the rope around his waist, which in his book was like a big clever thing that he thought up. And th- and that was it. Like nothing else in the whole movie jumped out at me and was like, Oh, this is from Ender's Shadow that we combined yeah. with these two books or you know, two books into one movie. It was like Were you <laughs> 
Did you? How do you feel about the the level of violence or graphicness that they they didn't really tone it down like I thought they would have? No, that was actually pretty good. So in the beginning, with uh, crap, whatever the kid's name is in the school, who's the bully um, that he beats the crap oh, out of? I yeah. Like, so Bob, there, whatever. <laughs> he uh, you know he I must he, know he drops this kid and then repeatedly kicks him in the chest and head Stilson Stilson what's his first name Stilson's you're asking a lot (laughs) you only have the internet the only thing that Wikipedia has is Stilson Stilson well that is what they call him the Stilson boy so he in the book he knocks him down and then eventually clobbers him about the throat and head so bad that it ends up killing him and in the movie, you don't see him die, and no one says that he died, but he beats him pretty unmercifully. But it, it wasn't like a kid movie fight where no. it's like they shove, and then some adult comes and says, stop. It, yeah. It's like, no, he is, yeah. he's actually... Well, he clobbers him with some kind of weird thing out of the science lab, and then that drops him, and then he goes into, just like in the book, where he's just like kicking him over and over, and I was like, all right. That, yep, that's pretty much how that happened in the book. And I was waiting for someone to say, like, the Stilson boy didn't make it, or, like, why did you yeah. kill They refer to the fight again, but they don't do the 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 washover of, like, he, you know, finally recovered. I think th- that portrayal, and in general, the, like, it's not just violence for violence's sake in Ender's Game. It, it really right. is, like, about... You're just psychologically destroying this boy by forcing him into situations yes. where he has to destroy someone or be destroyed. And so I like that being preserved for all the other flaws of the movie, that that character arc of I had to do this, you forced me into this. Well, some of the most useful dialogue in the whole movie is between Hiram and Anderson because their conversations in the book – kind of let the reader know what's going on and if it wasn't for their conversations in the movie the viewer would have no idea what the hell is going on like when they get there uh, well on the launch ship in the book Hiram calls out Ender as the smartest one and like makes everyone else feel stupid Mm -hmm. which they do in the movie like almost word for word which I was like yeah that was good because that's Ender needs to That's be isolated. part of the dynamic. Yeah, and then when they get to battle school, he even says, like, um, he can never know that anyone's there to help him. I, don't, I didn't feel like they didn't make it obvious enough how heavily surveillance the kids are. Like, they needed a quick scene of a room with, like, a million screens in it where you could see, like... Just the what, panopticon of the battle yeah, station. like, every kid is being tracked all the time because there were times that Ender's in conflict and it's important that you, as the the reader or the viewer, know they're watching him get his shit handed to yeah. him and they're not doing anything about it. Like, yeah. because that, that dynamic between the teachers and the students is important. Um, and in the book, they play it out a little more where the, some of the students realize, like, you know what, this is crap. Like, they are making our lives worse than they need to. This isn't training. This is, like, psychological mm-hmm. warfare. And uh, I think Dink is actually – he just, like, totally gives up on life. He's like, yeah, I just, I'm just waiting for them to wash me out because I'm on to their nonsense. Um, another, you know, little thing that, God forbid, they had a line of dialogue in the movie <laughs> that fleshed that character out. 
Um, so I don't know if, if I'm a little more forgiving because I was ex- I was flinching the whole time going into it. Like I was expecting it to be a crap show, and I didn't think it was a total crap show. I, I thought it, it's compromise. It's I don't really want to see it again. It's, <laughs> I'm I'm disappointed, but I'm not like devastated by it. It was just kind of. I was like, eh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> we, yeah, I mean, if if you go in expecting an F minus minus, and you come out with like a D minus, you're like, oh, well, it's still passing. But I mean, I went in expecting like a D plus C minus, and I thought I just thought it. See, was that's an F. what I would give the movie is like a, a C yeah, minus. To, to me, it's 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 an F, D minus at best, just because I I have a problem with change for change's sake in adaptations. The score thing was a good example. Like, why did you do that? Why did you spend valuable viewer seconds on describing the scoring of the game, which isn't in the book, which is fine. It doesn't have to be from the book. But then it has no relevance in the movie. It's never mentioned again. So, Kind of like the, the kid's power in The Shining, and then at the end he just runs around in the snow and that's it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, so he has these powers to talk to. Never mind, his dad wants to kill him. It's over. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson covered in high schools. So yeah, just done. Um, what was another? Oh, it, so this is, this is a little more of like a, a minute thing. But in when he gets to – it's not really command school, but he's on Eros, the asteroid, which in the movie is shown as a massive planet. But <laughs> it, it's – so in, when he goes to Eros where he commands the troops, there were a bunch of little changes in that like final climactic part that just felt pointless and like contradictory to the theme of the way the book ends. So in the book, they bring him to Eros and he finds out after Mazarakum jerks him around for a while that his army is there and that they're going to be going through the simulations with him but he's isolated from them he never sees them in person the only other human being he ever sees is Mazarakum. um and the tattoos what the hell <laughs> so that's so, like that's like bottom of the list yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again they waste a line of dialogue explaining it and you know what that line of dialogue was there to set up speaker for the dead which is never going to get made because he says, oh, my father was a Maori and these tattoos allow me to speak for the dead. Like, <laughs> he might as well have just looked into the camera and held up the cover of the Speaker for the Dead, like, coming soon. <laughs> now available in paperback. Yeah, so, so the fact that he sees the other kids kind of irritated me because I was like, well, part of their, their psychological warfare was the isolation. So that was like a little, you know, eh, okay. And then he also sees, like, Hiram and a bunch of other people. So it was like, oh, so he knows all the teachers are there. And, like, it's obviously all about him because every all operations have stopped yeah. so that these people can come be with him. And then there's, like, this outer ring. So he's in the middle of, like, the simulation room. And then there's, like, the ring of his army, so the other, like, eight kids. And then... There's this huge, like, gallery seating where there's these faceless people with, like, Daft Punk helmets on (laughs) with their little simulation screens that are controlling the ships. Now, Ender is supposed to be a super genius. If they put me in a room and told me I was controlling a video game, but I'm surrounded by 150 other people 
who are controlling individual ships, that would kind of alert me that some <laughs> shit was going down. Yeah. Right? Like, Well, especially because <laughs> the... Albeit accelerated throughout the movie, he's he's very quickly assessing situations. Right. Every moment in the movie. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, this is happening. Oh. Yeah. He he's, but somehow he doesn't put together. And also, they show a probe that they sent to the Bugger Homeworld, which again would be an immediate indication to him that they have the capability of sending ships to the Bugger Homeworld. So they show like, oh, this is the surface. And I mean, I know it's a movie and you got to make things more visual and thematic. But like <laughs> that's a change that breaks the laws of the the book. Like when they, they change the battle room. So in the book, the battle room is all white. Like it's a totally blank yeah. white room. Um, and then in the movie, it's like a big glass room. They want you to know they're in space. Yes, which actually makes a little sense. Like if you were going to be piloting some kind of – space fighting craft like an x-wing you would see the stars and if you were near planets you'd see planets and other ships so the fact that they can see out into space would help train them for space combat very visually appealing for the screen and it's not a completely moronic change well i mean it's not like a doesn't change the soul of the movie right it's like yeah, it, you can even argue that it makes more sense than a big white room. So it's like it it fits. I think white room was just more like THX eleven thirty six, like that that late seventies, yeah. early eighties sci fi vision where the future's white, yeah, every, space white, everything's right? white and chrome. Yeah, if it's not white, it's chrome. If it's not chrome, it's white. It's the future. <laughs> Deal with it. So, so like that that change, I was totally okay with because it. It, it's a movie. It, I need something to look at besides a white room. Otherwise, it would have been like watching behind-the-scenes features from the original Star or the Star Wars prequels, which is just green as far as the eye can see. But then, you know, taking away the isolation at the end felt weird. Like it changed <laughs> the whole dynamic. And then um, to add to that, so Ender ends up. Here it comes. Here's the big twist. Ender ends up destroying the Bugger homeworld in the book and in the movie. Even though they changed the little doctor from a bomb into a cannon. But again, that's just more visually stimulating. So whatever. That That's not a big deal. Um, in the book, when he is told he's coming up on his final simulation, he's – psychologically devastated he's physically devastated he's emotionally devastated he's just he doesn't want to play the game anymore so he decides he's going to intentionally totally break the rules and then he throws away the lives of almost everyone he's commanding (laughs) he's just like yeah just go over there distract them whatever and then he blows up the planet and then he turns around to the assembled military and political people and he's like ha I beat your game. Your rules are stupid. I'm done. Now you have to wash me out because look at how irresponsible I am. And when he does that, there's people, they're crying, they're jumping up and down, they're hugging. A couple people are praying, which is a big deal because religion is like kind of suppressed in this universe. Um, And then he's confused because he's like, I cheated. Why are you guys so happy? Mm Mm-hmm. And then they reveal, like, it wasn't really a game. You killed everyone. And he's like, no. And he has the big (laughs) crisis, right? Well, in the movie, he still has the big crisis. But 
when he blows up the planet, he's all like a 10-year-old who beat a video game. Like he turns around and he's like, yeah, we totally stuck it to him. Screw them buggers. And the military people are all like calm and solemn. And then they come down and they're like, Ender, you did it. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like the, so he's out to get the total wrong tone of totally uh, wrong <laughs> because it's it's significant to Ender's response to the situation that he sees this glee and delight in the destruction of this species like that weighs on him in the movie they're all very solemn and reserved about it which I mean, he's still upset because he still ended up killing all the buggers plus all the humans who were there. Yeah. I mean, er, it just everybody dies. Um, but I just felt like the, the whole – I guess tone is the right word. The whole tone of that scene seems backwards. From It's certainly backwards from the book and it seems backwards from how the character then responds because he flips out. Whereas a moment ago, he was like pretty happy with himself and it's like if you were – training to go do that for real then why are you so bummed like you did it the thing you were practicing it turned out you were already capable of doing it (laughs) whereas in the book he was doing it in the game air quotes because he didn't want to go fight in real life so that's like again it's like a, a universe breaking like there's this construct of the way the characters behave and it just breaks that totally down just falls all to pieces. All right, shall we transition? <laughs> I can. I have, mean, you, have you beaten this horse enough? <laughs> I, I think I've, I've probably beaten it. It's going to die. Like the question is just, do I want to continue to beat it until it is dead? <laughs> and I think I should just leave it here. So I'm interested in uh, segueing not just to kicking another horse, but. <laughs> um, not that there's necessarily any news that just happened about this, but let's let's talk about Star Wars. So, so you mean the new ones? The, yeah, <laughs> okay. the forthcoming. Yes. And uh, so, I don't know. How do you feel about this? Do you, are, are you? So my sense is like I have no idea if they're going to be any good, but will they be better than the prequels? <laughs> Please. I, I, I think <laughs> yes. I think they'll be better than the prequels. I and there's. A lot of space between Empire and Do you Clone think Wars. they'll be closer to yes. the original trilogy than to the prequels? Yes. And and the reason is, at least for episode seven, so the twenty fifteen release next year, uh Christmas next year, um it's the writer who wrote Empire, which is pretty universally regarded as the best one. Um so that's cool. Uh Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, the guy who plays. You're going to show up with wrinkles. I'm, I'm and... sorry, you're not as famous as the rest of them. Oh, Anthony but Daniels. He played C3PO. Yeah. Okay, him. Um, they're all coming back, um, which is cool because you know they're they are those characters, especially poor Mark Hamill. I mean, he was so closely associated with Luke Skywalker that his acting career after Star Wars went nowhere and he became a full-time voice actor yeah he wasn't just typecast it was like you are that yes. character deal with it yeah <laughs> you might as well just change your driver's license you are did you ever no see longer. his uh he was in uh i think it was called the guyver it was like it was like a japanese sci-fi like cybernetic suit that takes over it, it totally was like foreign. it was like mid-80s 
kind of a B movie. <laughs> I can't. I, I probably back when video stores were a thing. <laughs> is somehow I found out he was in another movie, and I was like, yes. Yeah, I need to see Luke in and another movie. I mean, I was like ten, so I don't remember. Right. It's probably not very good because no one ever talks about it. But yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of this movie, so that's. Okay. And I mean, I worked in. I should say, I worked in a blockbuster for like six years as a kid, and I've never ever heard of this. So it must have been on the the B minus side. So we're not going to talk about Star Trek yet. If we have time <laughs> to talk about it, we can get to it later. But I, I would put this thought out there that. Whatever you want to say about J.J. Abrams' style and the the films he tends to make, I think Star Wars is a better fit for him than Star Trek. Yes, and more, that's a common action-y. that's a common statement that the new Star Treks are more like Star Wars. They are, Star which Wars. people I don't <laughs> think are necessarily saying. Now maybe you would, but they aren't necessarily saying that as a bad thing about Star Trek. Yeah, well, well if people I, say that affectionately. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. hey, it's more like Star Wars. We should finish talking about Star Wars <laughs> okay. before you get me off on Star Trek. <laughs> okay. So, but I think, you know, it's it's not about sci- it's not about hard sci-fi. It's like yeah. his style is way more about emotional narrative, hero's journey. Yeah, and that's why I think the the episode 7 has promise because he, all the people who are attached aren't just good people, but they're attached to do the role they're good at. So they they needed someone to write like a script, George Lucas so they got a good writer. stopped writing yeah. on the prequels. Yeah, they needed, you know, a good writer, so they got a good writer. They needed a good director, which I think J.J. Abrams is a good director, so they got a good director. Yeah, he's You know, good. they needed a good cast, so they got a good cast. Like it and and it's no weird crossover where it's like the guy who played R2D2 is also going to write the screenplay even <laughs> though he has no writing experience. You know, so there's everybody's like assigned to the job that makes sense. Um, so I'm, I'm not as familiar with the extended universe or what counts as canon or what they're going to count as canon. Yes. But do you, I mean, obviously they're keeping this all secret, but so th- what do you think episode seven is going to be about? Th- that's actually... A, Other than a vaguely good, the descendants of the people in episode six. Right. So that's, that's a good thing to mention the canon. So I'd, I think... Um, well, I should say first, so... Disney and Lucasfilm and whatever the organizations are called now, um, they officially came out and said, we are going to rewrite the canon of the Star Wars universe and get rid of the crap. Um, Medichlorians? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, they can't get rid of see, that's, film that's canon. That's the thing is we don't know how far it's going to – I mean they could. It would be weird, but they could – but here's nothing was sacred in Star Trek, which we can get <laughs> yes. to later. So no, oh god, nothing was. <laughs> so here's here's the thing about Star Wars universe. So George Lucas maintained really tight control over Star Wars until the check cleared, right? So <laughs> yeah. he licensed Star Wars to all kinds of uh, novels well, and cartoons. Pretty much all of Return of the Jedi was designed to sell toys. Yeah, I mean, and there's games and stuff, and all of the comics, it goes on and on. But the thing is, even though all of these pieces feel fairly coherent and, and, and part of a, a whole, they're actually not. And even before Disney bought Lucasfilm and, and the rights to Star Wars, George Lucas said, like, yeah, some of these things are like alternate universes. They're not canon. Well, the people who control that, like, there's actually a department in Lucasfilm that has to control this because it's so complicated. <laughs> they are like the Elder Council. Yeah, it's like the, the lore masters of Star Wars. 
These people actually officially said we are going to make a list of things that are canon and everything else we're denouncing. So – and the reason they're doing that is because to write new stuff on this flimsy, lackadaisical foundation that they have that's all patchwork would be impossible. Yeah, you kind of want to set the record straight and smooth over yeah. some of the, the inconsistencies. and Yeah, so that's why I don't think they could throw out the entirety of Phantom Menace – but I think they could just never they ever could, let's mention. Just, let's never speak of it. <laughs> yeah, just no one ever. And I don't think it was ever mentioned after episode one because everyone was just like, "Really?" Yeah, that was a collective geek wide table flip. Everyone stood up and was just like, "Nope." Why did you just explain their crazy religion with science like that? Why? Why would you do that? Yeah, because Star Wars was inherently a mysticism universe. Yeah. And they decided, no, let's just... Which actually, you know, so this is a minor thing, but I just, it's interesting to me. So the end of episode three, um, Anakin is in his, let's say, 20s. I mean, he's a young adult. In And at the end of the episode, he is in the suit, right? He yeah. puts on no. the James Earl Jones. <laughs> yes. Do that, not want. <laughs> that happens. So... He puts on the James Earl Jones hat and then, like, the movie ends pretty much shortly thereafter. Um, and then in the beginning of episode four, uh, Luke, who we get see – he's born at the end of episode three. Like, you see her give birth and die. Um, and then Luke is, again, in his, like, late teens, early 20s. So we know – about how much time passed. Yeah, so this always bothered me, and me and my brother have talked about it so many times. Go ahead, because like, I think we're talking about the same thing. Well, like, in what, like you see episode four in the 80s or the late 70s before, without any other context. You get the sense that this empire has been in power for centuries. Yes! That it's, like, been a blight on the galaxy, just oppressing everyone, and it's like, oh, 20 years. Yeah, and do you know <laughs> what single exchange draws more attention to that than any other? It's it's like everybody's favorite scene when Darth Vader chokes the crap out of the guy in like the space boardroom that they're in. Yeah. Because what does the guy say? He's like, uh, you know, don't come all up in here with your sorcerer's ways. Nobody believes in that ancient religion. That ancient religion. That every, So the guy who says that is easily in his 30s. So when he was a kid, Jedis were everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) This isn't like, I've I've read about the Holocaust, but I didn't live through it. Like, he was there. He watched his government (laughs) kill all of the Jedi. And, yeah, people had seen lightsabers. People had seen force powers. Yes, the Jedi Council was a major political force (laughs) in the galaxy. Like, it wouldn't be mysticism. It would be like... It'd be like (laughs) Bill Clinton was president in the 90s. It's not an ancient religion recognizes him yeah and and more like it would be one thing if he had just said like your religion is stupid and we proved that by killing the jedi yeah that makes a lot more sense but he actually declares that he doesn't believe in it so yeah so is that just (laughs) crappy lack of foresight in episode four or no, that's crappy writing in episode no, three. Of course it's crappy writing in episode <laughs> three, but I mean Yeah, they really should have set up the Jedi as way more secret in yeah. the in the prequels. And that's what it was, because in 
like when Obi-Wan in the, the original movies, so in 4, 5, and 6, like when Obi-Wan talks about the Jedi, he makes it sound like it's this elite secret order. But then when you see the prequels, it's like, oh, no, they're an arm of the government. It's like I don't know everyone in the American House of Representatives, but I know that it's a thing yeah. and that they're part of our government. And if they were, I don't know, murdered by the Empire tomorrow, I would still know that they had existed <laughs> yeah. and what their basic function was. Like even 20 years from now. So do you think they'll fix that or is that just like – No, because that like – that's – irritating but it's minor like i feel like it's just sloppy well, it ruins the scale of how evil the empire is for your your classic hero's journey that's that true. it's like yeah a couple of you know one generation was yeah well i th- he tried to set it up as the empire was already becoming the empire and then they just went through like some seo changes they rebranded their website and they were like yeah we're no longer the galactic Senate. well then 9-11 happens in the galaxy and right then- and then they're the empire so it's like they were already a unified society kind of like mostly but um kind of like the galactic empire in uh the foundation series like they mostly control the whole galaxy but there's like fringe planets but it does sort of make them seem less evil, especially when you consider the smoothness with which they're running the galaxy. <laughs> like their goal was, was this the trains run on time. Yeah, I mean, their goal was. Uh, is, oh man, I'm I'm totally blanking. But there's there's like a dichotomy in D and D. It's like the paladins dichotomy. Like you come across an angel and a demon who are in love. So as a paladin, you're supposed to protect love, but as a paladin, you're supposed to kill demons. So, like, do you kill the demon and break their their romance, mm-hmm. or do you let them live? So Just it's like a dilemma. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like the it's which is the higher moral. So in the case of the Empire, it's like they're not going around oppressing people. They're not. I mean, they kill the Jedi, but they're not going around just needlessly murdering people. Like this was a political power struggle because of the prequels. In the original three movies, they are the evil force that comes in and dominates the galaxy. In the prequels, it's like, no, that was the acting government. Yeah. And even, like, <laughs> the the sacred ground of the original trilogy, like, I admit that with better writing, like a, political, ground. <laughs> a, a political drama could be more richly interesting if it was written well, <laughs> yes. Then just they're just evil. Deal with it. Where the good guys fight them. Which, yes. I mean, that's more in the tradition of the adventure movie, the the hero's journey. But yeah, which I I think either of those things are fine. Like the political drama definitely appeals more to adults, whereas the adventure movie is more digestible by children. Which, for the record, George Lucas has always said that these are children's movies and that adults shouldn't get so up in arms about it, even though no child but wants children, to watch a movie about the Galactic Senate. But children's <laughs> movies don't have to be terrible. No, they don't. Time but- Bandits is one of my favorite movies of all time, <laughs> and I can fully enjoy that as an adult. Yeah. No, children's movies don't have to be terrible unless it's Ender's Game. But <laughs> but all I'm saying is the the three original movies, 4, 5, and 6, were more simple good guys yeah. bad guys and then the prequels tried to make it more nuanced which would be fine 
until you consider that this but clunky, not, nuanced story bleeds into this super simple but black not, and white. not nuance of character dynamic, just nuance of here's a bunch of machinery in the plot yes. that isn't very good. Yeah, because no, the mean, original, like the the it was C-SPAN in space. The, the character, I mean, the characters are amazing in the original trilogy, but like the the way they gel and interact and mean something to each other is very compared to the prequels <laughs> nuanced. <laughs> yes, like you care about them and. And the new one, you're just like, who wrote this love dialogue between uh, Anakin and God, what's her face? Uh, Natalie Portman. I know you meant the character, but she's just Natalie. Well, I also don't like Natalie Portman's voice because it's like the most robotically. <laughs> well, she is an excellent example of an actress who needs a good script and a good director. Because if you've ever seen Black Swan, she's incredible in that. Um, she was great in V for Vendetta, which is a, a comic book adaptation. Um, but she's wooden. There's just no other wood for it. She's wooden. Yeah. In, and so is Anakin. Kind of like yeah. everyone in Chris, M. Night Shyamalan Christian movies. <laughs> yes. He, he, like, takes good actors and puts them into yeah. Yeah, carbonite. <laughs> I mean, and that's, you know, if you're an actor, your job is to do what – you read the lines in the script and you do what the director says. So if the director Wait, says – Wait, are you saying actors are supposed to read the script? <laughs> Sometimes, not always. Not if you're uh, Michael Gambon, you don't bother to read the <laughs> Harry Potter books before you are the like main character <laughs> in the movies. So, okay, we have about ten minutes left, and I do. You, you got me thinking about Star Trek, so I want to complain about. All it right, all right. Okay, so when I say Star Trek, I mean the reboot. Two thousand nine. Um, yes. Two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Was it 2013? 2012. Okay. I, I don't know. Recent. <laughs> Not the ones from 20 years ago. So I'm a big fan of Star Trek and Star Wars. And I don't remember who gave me this distinction, but I don't think it's like an official literary term. But to me, Star Trek is science fiction. Like, here is technology. Here's how it works. We will eventually have this technology. And Star Wars has always been science fantasy. I have mm-hmm. no idea how the engines in Star Wars work. I don't know how fast the ship. And even move. when they use terms that supposedly explain it, they're not really yeah. supposed to explain it because that's not what it's about. I mean, that's why the Metachlorians thing was such a slap in the face because it's like I don't want to know how the Force works. Yeah. I just need to know that. I don't want to know how the wardrobe works in language in the wardrobe. Exactly. <laughs> I just need to know that it works. There, done. Um, but in Star Trek, I mean, whole story arcs are centered around a particular phenomenon, a piece of technology. And I mean, it's all made up, but well, it's, they start with a basis in real science. It's realistically wildly extrapolate. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of deflector dish, lots of space anomalies, subspace anomalies, every episode ever. (laughs) Yes. And it's always, you try remodulating the phaser beams. No effect. No effect. (laughs) Yes. They, they must just have a single button that remodulates because they have to do it all the time. Um, and does it ever work, or is it lupus? It works sometimes. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> so, um, but in the, so in the reboot, you said it. They turned it into Star Wars. Like, I don't know how the hell anything works or why it works the way it works. 
So my sarcastic side is like, so they made it enjoyable. Oh, <laughs> so I mean, and that's so right. The tradition is that there are Trekkies and yeah, Warsers. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you call Star Wars. <laughs> Warsers is not it. Akaluks, Lukalites, <laughs> disciples of the Force. I don't know. So <laughs> I'm trying to think what what are Star Wars fans called? I like Warsers. No, that's the worst thing ever. <laughs> so, so while you rapidly research so there's there's the trekkies and and the star wars people um and i've always been a fan of both but for different reasons you know star wars satisfies this the like mystery <laughs> so wait okay. so i'm trying to google what star wars fans are called and this is yahoo answers is first it all of all pejorative no it's uh <laughs> the best answers from damien he answered this a year ago oh good what are star wars fans called Jedi's, Padawans, Rebels, I don't know. I'm 17 and I've been a lifelong Star Wars fan, fans, and I don't know what to call myself, but I'd rather be called a Jedi because Obi-Wan's pretty badass. That's, that's why God. no one uses Yahoo Answers for it. That's the top answer. And everyone else says wimps, geeks, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just Star Wars fans. God, it's just a cesspool of misinformation. <laughs> I think okay. it's as bad as Ask Phil. All right, continue. All right, yes. why, why the new Star Trek is the worst thing ever? So, no, Ender's Game was worse. Um, and the worst adaptation movie ever is Dragon Ball Evolution, but that's a whole What other... about The Last Airbender? No. We would need another hour <laughs> okay. to dissect those two, because I've had that conversation many times. So my, my problem with Star Wars, or with Star Trek, is that we already had Star Wars. I didn't need... Star Wars light, you know. I didn't need the Bollywood version of Star like, Wars. Still cheesy outfits, but not civilized. It's like yeah. running around being Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it, I actually enjoyed both of the new Star Trek movies for what they were. Why couldn't they just be a new universe if you're going to make something like this? Why did it have to be a new, new installment in an existing brand? I mean, this is a whole other conversation about Hollywood in general, like. Couldn't they have just made Space Adventure a movie about some characters in space going around yeah. space and doing spacey stuff? Like, it doesn't have to be the stupid well, little wonder, Federation logo and the Enterprise. Right. Um, my biggest problem with the the first reboot, even though I, as a, a fantasy, sci-fi fantasy film, it's enjoyable <laughs> with its fake time travel problems, but um, <laughs> is the villain is terrible. Oh, uh, he's useless. Nero? You didn't even remember him till I just mentioned him again because <laughs> no. he's so unimportant. He's just there to go rah. The guy's got to run around and do something because something yeah. has to be threatening them. Again, face tattoos. <laughs> just, just so many cliches of bad guys have some kind of deformity or yeah. damage. But he was just so uselessly cardboard. Yeah, he really serves no purpose. And I mean, I like Eric Bana. He's a good actor. I usually uh, Munich's sure. a great film. <laughs> but his, his Hulk movie—that was, was the Ang Lee one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I never saw that one. But you're not missing anything. Okay, I, I don't know. Is there a good Hulk movie? I guess people. I, li- I like the Ed Norton one. The the what? The I think it was the Incredible Hulk. The Ed Norton one. Oh, Ed Norton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, people like that one. Anyway, that's like there's so much going on in Star Trek. I feel like you could have had a good cerebral plot of, you know, Kirk's father died, you know, we're going to do a time travel thing, deal with it, and 
you had enough going on there of a paradox and dealing with stuff. Right. You didn't need some face tattoo guy running around going rawr. And you know, as, as a fan of the universe of Star Trek, I actually just rewatched all of Next Gen not that long ago, so I'm I'm brushed up on my Next Gen, but my TOS is still a little rusty. But as a fan of the Star Trek universe, my biggest problem with the movie, and again, not as a movie, but as a fan of Star Trek, was they needlessly overwrote everything else <laughs> because they wanted to shoehorn like in reformat. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to just shoehorn in Leonard Nimoy. And it was like, can't you just put him on screen as a nod to the audience? You don't actually have to make him play Spock. Because now, with the stupid time travel paradox... So how did you feel in the... You saw the second one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Into Darkness? Yeah. <laughs> with the reversal of Khan and all that stuff. See, but again, that's just like a nod to the audience. Like, oh, if you saw Wrath of Khan, Kirk is the one who screams out when Spock gets his butt handed to him. And he thinks he's... Well, he actually does die. <laughs> and it's not some magic blood that cures... So anyway... Some, some Star Wars Yeah, some, stuff. some Metachlorians get injected into him through the Force and he comes back to life. So, but I mean, so that, that was my thing. It's just, it's like you didn't need to undo 40 years of Star Trek to do a reboot. You could have just rebooted it and then just never talked about the old stuff again, right? Because it's like... It's one thing to come in as a new writer and a new director and be like, we're going to redo Star Trek the way we think is right. I think it's something very different to say, and we will erase everything that came before it. We will shit on everything you love. I'm not going to put new curtains up in your house after I buy it. I'm going to burn your house down. This is your childhood house. (laughs) Yes, and build a new house that looks similar but it's different enough that you'll never feel but at home here. The basement here. is on the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was really my problem with it. Is like it's, I mean, the fact that they they kind of de fied it and made it more of like a generic adventure story in space, like that. That's a personal taste thing. But I think it's just insulting to come in and just not ask if anyone needs to copy the notes off the whiteboard, but just like start erasing it. <laughs> And just being like, yeah, no, I'm going to draw something better. So what was up here doesn't matter. It's just it's rude. It's, uh, uh. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, there's, there were little individual things that I could get nitpicky with. So, but they're no, none of them are that important. It's just like, eh, you changed this. Good for you. Well, we're lucky we're not talking about Prometheus then. <laughs> I never saw Prometheus. Okay, you gotta watch Prometheus, <laughs> and we will spend an hour on why you probably oh, hate that movie. No, I'll, I can challenge you harder. Have you seen? You, so you saw Last Airbender? No, I didn't. Oh, you, oh man. Okay, have you? Are you familiar with the cartoon? Just a little bit. Okay, so travel back in time, fall in love with the cartoon, spend your childhood watching Dragon Ball Z, then watch Dragon Ball Evolution and Last Airbender, <laughs> and then yeah, it's I. Uh, it's the worst. All I can say in our, in our final minutes here is Dragon Ball Evolution is hands down the worst adaptation of other content I have ever, ever oh, seen. Oh, that's a whole episode. Worst adaptations ever. Yeah. It's it's so bad. I have to give uh, Prince Caspian and I didn't even bother with the third Narnia movie. You know, I think I only saw the third Narnia movie once. Because I, I finally, long after they were, again, I never read them as a kid, um, in, my, in my 20s, I was like, I should probably read these books. 
I think I spent my 20s reading all the books. <laughs> no one assigned to me when I was 10. So, I mean, I grew up reading the books, still very fond of them. Movie, the first movie was just kind of like a, a C, C plus, maybe yeah. B minus. And then it just, it goes <laughs> down way there. down. They're just like, what if Prince Caspian and, and uh, I think it's Susan, what yeah. if they fall in love in the movie? It's like, oh my God. Well, that, you know, that's actually one more jab at Ender's Game. Um, so Orson Scott Just Hart, one final yeah, one, one final dig in there. So um, I read, read, some people debate this, but actually I listened to the audiobooks. The audiobooks of the Ender's Game series are phenomenal because they're really well presented and they're still readings. They're not like dramatic readings, um, but they have multiple actors. So there's some female voices, some male voices. Um, and it's just an excellent presentation. But something you kind of get for free is at the end of the recording, there's like a little tiny mini interview with Orson Scott Card. And since the audio versions came out 15 years after the books, he talks about why it hasn't been made into a movie. And one of the thing, two things that he said were of paramount importance. They can't be teenagers, which they were like – Pre-teens. They're like ten. Yeah, so he kind of he bent on that a little, but I mean, the kids in the book are six. So how many? Uh, you're not going to have yeah. a Haley Joel Osment around every corner. Exactly. So that <laughs> I'll, the fact that they made them like ten, eleven, twelve years old, I'll, I'll give him a break on that. Um, but the other thing was he said no love story because all of the studios wanted to shoehorn in a love story. They always do. And, yeah, because they wanted it to be a teen drama when it's supposed to be a children's book. And there were a couple times in the movie where there were, like, longing stares between Ender and Petra. Uh, we're wrestling. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, they're, they're – look at that. Wait, let me show you how to hold the gun. Yeah, and, I mean, in the book, it's – because it's a very internal book. Like, almost the whole thing is Ender's personal thoughts. Which makes it hard to film. Yes, it does. And I'll, I will give them license on that. Um, Harry Potter was the same way. Almost the whole book happens in his – <laughs> in his head, but from, <laughs> from his point of view, it's all a dream. He's, yeah, he's actually in an insane asylum. Um, so, the, which is actually a fan theory about the Harry Potter universe is that he was crazy. Are, it's solipsism, yeah. Theories yeah, are boring to me. <laughs> they are, but it's it's been done. Um, is but, it solipsis in here? Or is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, in the Ender's Game books, because you can hear his thoughts, it's very clear. That Petra is a dear friend to him and not a romantic interest. But in the movie, they can kind of <laughs> toe that line where they're like, oh, hormones. Will, yeah, they're, they're that age and she's the only one who understands him. And, uh, and, and she's like. <laughs> the abundantly available female character. <laughs> pretty much. So I felt like that was the studio kind of getting their last little dig at Orson Scott Card for making them wait 30 years <laughs> to adapt his book. It's like, well, we're going to put this love thing in there because you know a lot of casual observers of the movie would have said ender and petra have a thing for each other based on what they saw mm -hmm. no one ever confirms it they don't end up together but it's like the longing stares the 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 gentle cuddling when she's showing him how to fire the the light room gun there in the battle room it's uh, god damn it <laughs> so i think we are we spent about 45 solid minutes complaining about a terrible movie. <laughs> That's an episode. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> so I think, do we have plans for next time, or is it going to have to be a surprise? Uh, that'll be a surprise. To us and them. But, 
Let's quickly recap. Where can people find you online, David? So people can find me, uh, lionsinbeta.com. Uh, same thing, Twitter. I'm on Google+, Plus. Uh, plus David Lyons. I actually got my name. Go figure. You um, lucky yes. jerk. Well, believe me, I've spent my life dealing with a common name, so that was a very happy surprise. And then, uh, of course, this episode, uh, flippingtables.com slash, I think it'll be 001. Flipping Tables Podcast. Flipping Tables Podcast. <laughs> Flipping Tables someone else. Don't go there. Or do. I don't know. Maybe their stuff is okay. Flippingtablespodcast.com slash, what, 001? Yeah. Yeah. Is what you're listening to right now. Right. To refer other people. Yes. This episode. Give the URL out. Tell right. your friends. And I'm Mike Edwards. You can find me at pseudomichael.com or at mEdwardsMusic because some other jerk has <laughs> pseudomichael on Twitter. And he hasn't tweeted in like two years. And I've direct messaged him like every six months <laughs> saying like, are you still there? Can I have your name? So if you're listening at pseudomichael, just be reasonable. <laughs> give it up. We'll, we'll mention you on the podcast as a good guy if you give up your Twitter. Totally. So, all right. Thanks for listening. Yep. Yep.